Hi, and welcome to Recovered, Interviews with Alcoholic Women. Today, we want to help spread some holiday cheer with a very special release of the Magdalene House podcast. In honor of the women who inspire us every day in their personal journeys of recovery and our end-of-year celebration of the miracles at Maggie's, we've got something a little different for you. You'll be hearing snippets from past guests, a variety of women in our community, about the miracles they have experienced while at Maggie's. We hope this brightens up your day to learn a little more about the life-saving work the Magdalene House gets to do each day, and that you are inspired by the miracles these women have seen firsthand. As always, our focus at the Magdalene House is to help women achieve sobriety and sustain recovery at absolutely no cost. If you are looking for a recovery community, or are curious to learn more about us, visit our website at magdalenehouse.org or visit us at our home on Gaston Avenue in Dallas, Texas for one of our many meetings or workshops. Hi, I'm Sandra. I'm a very grateful recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is March 23rd, 2019. So, um... I went to a couple of meetings, and at the foundation meeting, a fellow led the meeting, and he talked about the cycle, and I went, well, that's me, and I felt, I felt good. I went, yeah, that's me, that's me, and I got my desire chip, and the woman who gave me the desire chip was this pretty blonde headed woman with these sparkly blue eyes and she looked at me and she said Sloan looks just just like you that's my oldest daughter and oh I just felt so good I felt so good and I went to a couple more meetings I sat next to a girl and she said what was your drink of choice I said wine chardonnay I love chardonnay and she said well I would drink a whole bottle of gin so I went you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink a whole bottle of gin. So a few more months went by, things got worse, and um, I was, I had played tennis early. I came home, I was gonna cook dinner for uh, some friend's birthday, and I was gonna marinate a steak, and I thought, oh, it's, I'm just gonna have a little wine, you know. So then I got, went back to the steak. Oh, that tasted so good. I'm just going to have, you know, we say, oh, we're so hot. Oh, that tastes so good. Any excuse. Um, I took my Ambien nap and I woke up. The steak still was not marinated. But when I woke up, I went, Sandra, this, this is not normal. This is not normal, you drinking all day long and taking Ambien. This, you, this isn't you. This isn't what? You're just surviving barely. This isn't you. And I called my daughter's friend who is an alcoholic, and I said, I'm an alcoholic, and where should I go? And she said, go to Maggie's. So I called Maggie's, and they said, uh, well, come on in. It's first come, first serve. And I said, well, I can't come tonight. I'm having a dinner party. 
I said, I'll come in the morning. They said, well, it's first come, first serve. And uh, the next morning, I went to Maggie's. And the wonderful thing is, we I put it on navigation to get to it. I thought it was clear out in heebie-jeebie land or something. You know, it's two miles from my house. So that was the first godsend. The second godsend was I walked in that door and I had a feeling of, I was nervous, but a feeling, yes, this is right. You are an alcoholic. This is right. And so anyway, then the next day was Sunday and you know, the speaker meeting at 11 o'clock, someone, someone was introducing the chair and I saw this woman sitting over by the window in a chair and she had blonde hair and I said, man, that lady looks so familiar. She looks so familiar and she got up and started talking and she mentioned uh, one of her sponsees who's the friend who told me to go to Maggie's and then it dawned, it just, it, I just cracked up. She was the one who had given me my desire chip at that meeting. I just broke down because I knew I was supposed to be there. It wasn't a coincidence. It was a God incidence. And I went up to her and hugged her crying, crying, crying. And she said, I've been waiting for you for two years. And I'll tell y'all what the word I love more than anything that I never understood is the word grace. Because God did for me what I could not do for myself. I didn't think I could ever quit drinking. I was scared that I couldn't quit drinking. You know, I've been drinking every day for years and taking Ambien to go to sleep and it, just that vicious cycle. And another thing about Maggie's, I had no idea it was a disease, a disease of the mind and the body. So when I heard that and how they explained it, the allergy and the craving and the mental obsession I was actually grateful. I was grateful because they said, you know what? There's a solution. All you have to do is take our hand. It's 12 steps across the street. Take our hand and, and follow these steps. And I was so exhausted from drinking. I, you know, you worry. Do I have enough to get through the day? Oh gosh, I'm too drunk to go get some more and I'm out. What am I gonna do? Oh, where did I hide my glass? I don't even know where I had my glass. Oh, I've got to pick up the grandkids at school. Then I get them to my house. When can I take them home? I need a drink, I need a drink. It is exhausting and then you get drunk and then you go, how can I quit drinking? How am I going to quit drinking? And then you get scared. I can never quit drinking. I've been doing this all my life. 
But by God's grace and Maggie's and the 12 steps in the book, big book, here I am almost 17 months sober <laughs> and having the best life I've ever dreamed of. I'm, I'm not selfish anymore. I'm, I'm not as self-seeking self as I was. I'm still working on that. I'm not dishonest. I love to serve. I love to serve for once in my life because I was given this free gift. You know, we go to Maggie's. Here I, I was going, it's free? What kind of place is this? You think they're going to get me well? You know? And here I went, and it is a miracle house. I've told some of y'all before, I feel like I'm just riding along on top of a big cumulus cloud and just everything is vibrant and full. And every once in a while, there's a dark cloud or a, some lightning that comes down. But, you know, I pray, I talk to my sponsor and I turn around 180 and take action. And, uh, it just blows away, just blows away. I'm forever grateful. Um, my name is Jojo. I am a grateful, recovered alcoholic. I am powerless against alcohol. And my sobriety date is December 5th of 2019. So in the beginning, <laughs> I got sober when I was 68. I just turned 70 last year. I was broken. I'm from a broken family. My spirit was broken. Everything about me was broken. I was brought up in an alcoholic home. My, all my relatives, I believe, were alcoholics. Of course, no one ever talked about it. This was in the 50s. No one ever talked about it. We just gathered it relatives houses and everybody drank beer or hard liquor. I don't think anybody drank wine back then. At least my relatives didn't. Vodka and beer. So I was surrounded by that at an, at an early age. Although my drinking didn't actually start until I was uh, a grown woman. You know, I drank in high school, as everyone probably did, but I didn't drink alcoholically until after my children were born and grown was when I really became concerned about the amount of alcohol that I was drinking. I knew about alcoholism. I knew it was a disease, but I didn't know. I didn't know until I went to Maggie's that that it was an allergy that by the body and the mind worked together and that it was progressed so in my life that I became aware of it, but not, not so aware that I wanted to stop. I just continued to drink. So the night that I decided that I needed to go to Maggie's because I had known Sandra, obviously through the wedding of my son and her daughter, 
I knew Sandra had gone to Maggie's and I saw the transformation that she had and how she kicked it, how she, because I drank with her and I knew that for her to go from one end of the spectrum to the other, well, you know, Sandra did it. I can do it. And I was ready to do it. That's the, when I went to Maggie's, so I called Sandra the night before I went to Maggie's and I told her I cried. And I said, I was ready to, to be dropped off. So I went to Maggie's and my husband dropped me off the next morning at nine o'clock. And obviously we, we all know what Maggie's can do for us and what God can do for us. God can, it's what God did that really put me in the right place. There I was, gave me the book, got me a sponsor and showed me the way. And I'll be forever grateful for that. I never knew about the allergy when I went into Maggie's. That's what I learned there, that it, I had an allergy to alcohol. And I thought, hmm, my doctor was right when she said that I, she said, she used that word. She said, you have an allergy, but, but yeah, there, there was definitely a reason for the way I was drinking. Lo and behold, I discovered my spirituality and I worked the steps and I became more spiritual and I'm, I become more spiritual every day. And it just, it just happened. You know, the, the experience, it's not one particular thing that happened to me. It was a joint effort of lots of things coming together that I experienced God and I experienced joy and I experienced the relief that sobriety gave me when I got out of the house that no, I didn't think about drinking any longer. I didn't, I didn't plan on where I was going to buy my wine and where I was going to stash it. And it, it just sort of evolved um, over time. And I'm a little over two years and it has just been the most magnificent, marvelous thing that I have ever accomplished in my life. Um, other than having children. And it's astounding to me how it all happened. And it really is a miracle. My name is Tina, and I'm a very grateful recovered alcoholic. My day of grace is January 5th, 2013. And that is a miracle. I had uh, gotten into a new relationship with, uh, with Lori and we were having relationship problems and that's not a big surprise, right? And so she said, you know, gosh, the, things are kind of rocky. We need to go to counseling and I will never be able to repay the woman that broke, that said, come to counseling by yourself, Tina, you need to, you know, let's just talk to you. And I kept thinking, oh, great, because I could, you know, everything's her problem. I would love to tell you all about her, you know, all about her issues. Um, but the reality is that she wanted to talk to me. Um, and so she did. She spent a couple weeks. 
breaking down my bias and my why I would why I wasn't even willing. And and I'm the girl that was never going to stop drinking. And that's what I told everybody. I will never stop drinking. And and here's the truth of it, right? I can say this now. I couldn't say it back then. I said it because I have a lot of pride and ego and I'm really, really, really hard-headed and stubborn. But the reality of it was, is I didn't want to live without booze and I didn't know how to live without it. And I knew how bad it was. No one else could understand what I was going through. And so the idea of living without it wasn't even a possibility. So I just was like, I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to stop drinking. But I was really scared. Um, so she convinced me to check out a meeting. I went to dinner that night and I told Lori I had some homework and I said, I've got to, you know, find a meeting. And she, within seconds, had our phone up and she's like, here are, you know, four options. And the top option was a place called the Magdalene House. And we had no idea what we were getting into. We walked in and went to a couple meetings. Um, but the one time that I went to a meeting by myself, this lady walks in and, and she looks kind of familiar and I, she introduces herself and I'm like, wow, I know this lady. What is she doing here? It's so wild that she would be here. And we had worked together 10 years prior. And so I listened to her story and I sat in that meeting room and cried like a baby because no one had ever talked about, um, the things she was talking about. No one had ever said out loud what I was going through. And so I went up to her and I said, do you remember me? We used to work together. And she looked at me. She, she did not remember me because I didn't look anything like I do now or back or back when she worked with me. Um, I was a mess. And, and that's why, you know, we can't judge each other by, by what we look like when we get here because we're not ourselves. She agreed to meet with me and we sat out on the front porch of Maggie's and she started to qualify me. What I now know is qualifying, which is, you know, how much is enough and, and, and have you ever tried to stop? And, and, you know, and then she told me about herself and, and, and I just cried again like a baby. And I just said, I, when I, I can't wait to work the steps. When I get sober and when I get you know, recovered, I am going to tell every woman I possibly can about this because I'm so, I mean, I've, I've been in advertising and marketing my whole career. And we, we sell so many things on billboards that people don't need to know about. Why are we not telling people, women about the solution? Why are we not telling people about, you know, that there's hope? But... And this is why I always say that my favorite chapter in the whole book is called more about alcoholism because I got up from meeting with her, you know, on fire, ready to do this, walked back to my car across the street, opened up the door and there was that red solo cup. And I looked at it and I said, that woman does not know who she's dealing with. I am, I have overcome so much in my life. Now that I know what's wrong with me, I got this. I got this, right? I'm going to prove her wrong. And so I met with her September. Um, I came into Maggie's in January. So I'm so lucky that it didn't take me that many months to test drive this. But I'll tell you, um, the night before I came in, I did try to take my life because I just couldn't imagine life without booze. And I promised God, I said, if I wake up in the morning and I'm still alive, 
then I'll know what you want me to do. And I woke up and I, the minute that I crossed that the threshold of Maggie's, I always say it's like jumping off a cliff and I've never looked back. Um, I work this, this program like my hair's on fire because I know in my heart that if I drink again, I'm going to die. And the step one experience that we all need is hard and it's painful. And that woman on that friend's porch that day promised me that my experience would help somebody. At that moment, I didn't understand that, nor did I think really think about it. All I knew was I was dying. It worked for her. And she told me that it would work for me. Um, and, I, and I walked into that to the doors of Maggie's and there was a woman standing there. She had been in there in September when I was first coming to those meetings and she had relapsed. And so she was standing at the door and she was like, Tina. And so it was, it was another sign. It was just like, Oh, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. And, and that's just been, and here I am um, seven years later. You know, I, I um, listened to Ainsley's podcast last night and, and I completely relate to her when she says that Maggie's is my, is my home, that Maggie's is where my heart is. And, um, and I'm just grateful that I get to get to be alive and, and make use of my experience. So today we have on Patty W. Towards the end, you know, I'll never forget on my last spree, I was in a hotel and I was, you know, finally made it back over to Maggie's, but I was in a hotel and I had been drinking for, I don't know, days. And, um, well, another thing I can mention too, is that my mom died real quick in 2016, July of 2016, real sudden with Alzheimer's. And I was not sober then, but she knew that I had been to the Maglin house and that I had gone to the other uh, programs. My mom knew that I was trying to get sober, you know. So that was six months after my husband died, you know, so this during the year of 2016, you know, when I was really, uh, really trying, just hanging on, trying to stay sober, you know, that happened to me as well. But thank goodness for my children that um, I'll never forget. My daughter said, I cannot help you right now. Well, they left me and I went to jail, too. A lot of people say you went to jail. Well, let me tell you, I'm not any different. And uh, they left me in jail for th three days. But anyway, they got to that point to where they really were out of answers, too, on what to do for mom. Right. And so I had to walk down that road that a lot of us do of um, that. They just thought, you know, we just can't help her anymore. I And I do thank them for that today. But anyway, that they never, ever gave up on me ever. Even my last relapse, you know, when I was living here at Sober Living, um, my daughter said, I'll never forget. She said, Mom, it's OK. Just go back and see if there's something there that you can hear that will help you. And anyway, so after they saw that mom was really working the program and everything, my life today, I don't know exactly where I'd be because they're a huge part of my life and I have 11 grandchildren that are all a big part of my life too and um, I know that my kids today can go to sleep 
and have been able to for a long time now and not worry about their mom. And that even goes back to, you know, I'm a, a mother of an addict. Uh, my son that went to prison. So I know what it feels like going to bed, worrying about somebody that you love so much. And I'm so glad I don't have to, to worry about him today. Our family is very, very close. They look up to me. I look up to them. They know that I'm present when I'm helping with the kids. We've got a trip planned the end of July for the first time. All of us are going to be there on a trip. Um, down to the beach. And that has been years and years and years that we've been able to do something like that. And I am just so happy that I'm able to um, be with them as much as I am. And my sons actually work for me now. So I get to see them a lot more too, because of that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just wonderful to know that the, I, the love, I always knew that they loved me and I always knew that they believed in me to a certain extent. Sometimes I know they gave up on me like, my God, you know, mom, please get it together. But I am together today and they are together today. And oh yeah, we went on Mother's Day this year. We went to Luby's. We were all kind of trying to figure out where we could go and you know how Mother's Day is. It's very busy. Well, you know, Luby's cafeteria, we always love to go to. And so I said, well, there's one in Rockwall and they live out east. I said, why don't we all just meet over at uh, the Luby's and Rockwall? We did. And so I had not all of my grandchildren there because some of them are in New Mexico getting ready to move back here. But and that's another blessing um, because of the Oh, I could go on and on, but sometime when I tell my story, I can go into it further. But so we were sitting there and we all ate and they went, we all went through the line and, you know, came back and we all ate and everything and just sitting there talking about the trip and that type of thing. And I said, well, seeing that I have you three here, I just want to tell you something. I cry. Gosh, I'm a crier sometimes. I mean, I can get pretty strong in that cry, but some things I cry. about. <laughs> and I just looked at them. And I just said, I want to thank you for understanding my program that takes away some of the time, maybe. I said, but most of the time I'm there to help you in any way that I can or answer a phone call. I said, but I really want to thank all of you for understanding the program that I work today and how involved I am at the Maglin House. And that is just something that your mom needs. And they, of course, tears start blowing some. Oh, my God, my mom. And I said, but from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for understanding. Because my one son, he was like, my gosh, you're always doing something over there. And mom, you do this for free. I said, son, I don't do it for free. I do it for my sobriety and for my happiness that I have. That's what I do it for. And to help another alcoholic woman. And he said, well, he told me that before, but um, anyway, so they were just, you know, a little bit teary eyed. Well, not a little bit crying. And, and they really do understand my life today and they accept it. And they are very, very happy that I worked the program too. Are you or someone you know struggling with the inability to stop drinking? At the Magdalene House, we believe that alcoholic women deserve a place to recover with dignity. 
In our two-week residential program, clients will be introduced to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism isn't, as well as be presented with a solution, all in a loving and supportive environment. All of our programs are at absolutely no cost, and because we accept no government money, we can accept women all over the world and stick to our own curriculum. If you want to stop drinking and cannot, call 214-324-9261 for a phone screen. I'm Carrie, and I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is September 4th, 2019. So I went through Maggie's three times in 2019, and that was not my first attempt at sobriety. I didn't start drinking like alcoholically until I was about 35, but I uh, quickly went downhill after that and went to a lot of treatment, a lot of detoxes. And finally, in September of 2019 is when I really just couldn't take it anymore. I knew that if I didn't do something, I was going to die. And frankly, I was okay with that. I was dead inside anyway. So in September of 2019, I went to Maggie's for the third time. And that is where I finally got my step one and realized that I'm never going to be able to drink like a normal person ever again. I uh, lost my mother in a car accident when I was two and my dad was a raging alcoholic. So my grandmother raised me. And even though I had a great childhood with my grandmother, I always felt like I was missing out on something like it's not fair. It's not fair. Life's not fair. And God took my good parent, left me with alcoholic parent and self-pity was like running rampant through my life way before the drinking ever started. And then of course, once I started drinking really heavily, that was my excuse was poor me. It's, you know, life has not been fair to me. I was given a bad hand. And in reality, I had a great life, a great childhood. I was very well taken care of, but I used that as an excuse for many years. And I was really angry at God for many years too. I could not understand how he could take a parent from a baby, like especially their mother and leave them with the parents that was drinking all the time. So my dad got sober about 17 years ago. I actually put together the intervention and took him to treatment and found a treatment center for him. This was before I started drinking alcoholically. And then 10 years after that, I wound up at the same treatment center. So kind of funny, but you know, everything it's kind of funny because everything that I blamed my dad for, like everything that I was angry with my dad about were the exact same things I had done to my daughter in my drinking. And so when I did my fist up, I am. was really able to see my mistakes in that and how I had shown up the same way. The things that I was still holding on to, even after I'd done all these things to my daughter, were the exact same things that I had done. And to realize that he was also sick when all those things were happening, the things that he did, he would never do sober. My dad is an amazing man that has let me live here for the last two years that has been nothing but supportive. But just like me, when he was drinking, he was sick and he did things that he would not have normally done. Um, like not being around and, you know, driving us around drunk and, you know, just being the typical parent that I was when I was drinking. We have an amazing relationship now. He, uh, he trusts me now. He doesn't look at me crazy every time I walk in the door to try to look at my eyes to see if I've been drinking or try to like give me a hug to smell my breath. He uh, actually trusts me. And I'm very grateful for these last two years that I've had with him because it has given me a new relationship with him that I didn't have growing up. Like we didn't have a real relationship growing up and now we have a really great relationship. 
the third time I got out of Maggie's, I came home and, you know, went through the steps. And when it was time to make my amends, I went to him and I said, dad, would you be willing to hear an amends from me? And he said, no. He said, I don't want to hear any more amends from you. I am, your words mean nothing at this point. So I just want to see you do the action. I want to see you do what you're supposed to do. And I just need some proof. I don't, I don't want to hear any more words. So I went to my sponsor and I was like, my dad does not want to hear from me. He doesn't want to hear words from me. He wants to see it. And she said, well, that's, that's your amends. And you need to show him that you're going to do this and show the action. And um, all you have to do is be willing. And I went to him with a willing heart and he was not, he did not want to hear it. I did leave it open that if, you know, if you ever want to hear my amends, I'm here, but he's never, he's never asked. And he's very proud of me. He tells me a lot that he's very proud of me. So I would say, you know, all you have to do is be willing, go to them with a willing heart and ask them if they would hear an amends from you. And if they aren't ready or don't want to, then you just need to put in the action and show them, you know, your actions mean so much more than your words. At this point, we have lied and manipulated our way through their lives for so long that our words really don't mean anything. So if they're not willing at this point, just keep doing the right thing. And if they're not even talking to you to see that you're, you know, that you're doing the right thing, pray, keep doing the right thing. And God finds a way in the end. He will, he will show you ways that you can do things to make things right. By working the steps and especially doing my fifth fifth step, I know that God has a plan in my life and in all of our lives that I'm not ever going to understand. And, you know, that included the death of my mother. And although I don't understand and will never understand, I have faith that that was for a better plan than I can imagine. And my my sisters are a lot younger than me and they're half sisters. We have different mothers. And when my, one of my sisters is 13 years younger than me, when she was about eight, she said, you know, sissy, I'm really sorry that your mom passed away, but if she were still here, Holly and I might not be here. And that, you know, has always resonated with me. Like, I don't know what God's plan is, but I know that things would look a lot different and I'm pretty happy with the way things are today. So by working the steps and having faith in God and God's plan and giving my life over to God, it's allowed me and helped me accept the way things are with things that have happened in the past. Teresa, if you can just give us a little bit of background about yourself, you know, what led you to getting sober? Just a little bit about me, and I'm not going to go into a lot. I don't like to go into a lot of my junk log um, because my recovery is where um, the freedom has come in. But um, I have the best parents in the whole world. Uh, it was kind of like leave it to Beaver. You guys probably aren't old enough to know about that. But um, they didn't drink. Um, I had three older brothers. You know, my mom stayed home. My mom didn't work. She always had dinner ready. We went on vacations. I grew up in, I was born in Boston, grew up in New York. I never had a drink until I was in high school here in Texas when we finally moved to Texas. You know, I I was never a daily drinker. And I think that was one of the hardest things for me to get sober and recovered was because I wasn't a daily drinker. Um, But when I did drink, I did a lot of drinking um, socially. And then I would go home and I would to sit alone and just drink after my daughter went to bed. I used the drinking, um, I thought, so that I could sleep at night. Because if, you know, if your daughter had a brain tumor, you would drink too. So I used it as an excuse. Um, The first time I went to rehab, my dad came over to my house and we were sitting on my front porch and he looked at me and he said, 
do you think that you need to go to rehab? And in that moment, I thought, great food, I get to do yoga, um, I get to get away from all of these medical bills, all of my daughter's surgeries, everything. I just get to get, I get, to get away for 30 days. Um, after I got on my first rehab, I did stay sober for about nine months. Um, but it wasn't something that I wanted to do. You know, again, I liked the effect produced by alcohol. So um, then I would started hiding it from all my family and friends. Um, you know, I wouldn't drink out in public. I wouldn't drink anyway, but I would drink at home and I would drink alone. Um, you know, when it talks about hiding the, um, the alcohol, I would hide it from my daughter. I would hide it from myself. Um, my daughter's had about three brain surgeries, but it was probably after her third brain surgery when things started getting really bad. Um, she had, at that point, um, she, you know, she would, I think she'd graduated high school by then. Um, but life was tough. You know, I had a lot of medical bills. I had a lot of things. And I used that as an excuse to drink. Um, then, uh, I mean, I go to my home group sometimes every, well, every Thursday. And I think about how many times that I went to that meeting drunk. Um, I didn't have a solution at all. And my girlfriend, um, who'd, had, who'd done a lot of volunteering at Maggie's back in the day, she, and she came to, to get me one day and took me to Maggie's. Um, and I remember sitting out front of Maggie's and looking at, Mag, looking at the house and thinking, I'm not going in there. And she said, you are going in there. You're going to you know, you're, you're gonna get out of this car and go in there. And it's the best thing. Um, I learned more at Maggie's in the two weeks I was there than I did in the years that I tried to get sober any, you know, anywhere else. Um, that was really hard for me. My daughter and I have always been close and, and her being sick for so many years brought us closer together. Um, it, it, they're, they're such a bond, but, but when I relapsed, she just didn't, she just, it was so hard on her. And so she wouldn't talk to me. She, like I said, she deleted me from every social media. I, I didn't even know where she was living. Um, and I had to just at that point, trust God's plan, not mine. And it was probably, so here I was, you know, not, I didn't have my daughter and I had really nothing. Like I had no money, but I had to, that was the turning point of me for, to be able to trust God's plan. Um, and, and for me, I, I could, you know, I prayed about it every single day, like probably two or three times a day. And I told God, I don't like your plan. I don't like this at all, but I trust your plan. Um, so she didn't talk to me for probably six months or more. Um, not a thing. I, you know, my parents would tell me little snippets about how she was doing, but they, you know, <clears throat> other than that, I, like I said, I didn't know where she was living or, you know, what was going on with her, but I, I did pray every night, let her know that I love her and please, you know, let you know, I trust you. And so she called me one day and she said to me, I hear that you're doing, or I, everybody tells me that you're doing so much better. Like it was sarcastic. It was, and I was like, I am, do you want to have lunch? And she said, I guess so. And in that moment, I, she wanted to go to something. I can't even remember what it was. And it was pouring down rain and it was over near Maggie's and I lived over uh, Midway and Royal. So it was maybe a 20, 30 minute drive, but it took us like an over an hour in the car 
and and God made me make that amends. I wasn't ready, but but she wanted that amends from me. She wanted me, and it was that moment was the first time in my life I'd ever been honest with her. When 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 she said you did this, I said I probably did. Some of it I don't remember, and I had never been that honest with my child before. You know, she she has a brain tumor, she has memory problems, and I would just be, oh, I never did that. And in that moment in that car, all I could say to her was, I'm, I, I, I probably did do that. And I couldn't say I was sorry, and I couldn't say I would never do it again, but just admitting to her that I had done some of those things um, was, was huge. Um, she and and the months you know and then later on i sat down and did another amends with her but the hard part she doesn't have a good memory she she's lost a lot of her short-term and long-term memory so there are times even now she'll look at me and she'll want some sort of restitution or some want to bring something up and and sometimes i'm like but honey we we did the amends but now i just go you're right you know, and it took a lot for me to be able to say, you're right, I did those things. You know, and, it, and it's taken a long time. You know, she moved back in with me. Her father passed away last year and she moved back in with me then. And, and it's just gotten stronger and stronger. But, you know, we have our moments. But, you know, I when when that old Teresa comes back, when gets home from work, and, and <clears throat> wants to tell her, what, why don't you clean this up? Why don't you do this? Then I, 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 I look at her and I turn around because I, I don't ever want to be that person again to her. Um, so it's been a long struggle. It's been, you know, but, but the beauty is, you know, when she said that at birthday night, it, it, it hurt so bad, but it felt so good that I could even stand here and let my kid tell the world that I don't have to be scared of my mom anymore. You know, that's huge. Was it like embarrassing? Yeah, it was embarrassing, but it's the truth. She doesn't have to be scared of me anymore. You know, the beauty of it is I can be a mom. I can, I can be here for her for, forever if I stay sober. Daphne, if you can just introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background about yourself and what led you to get sober. So what led me to get sober? I, I, my story is really um, dark and I went really downhill fast and not, not that the consequences are what make me an alcoholic, but I suffered um, tremendous consequences um, because of my drinking. My, my drinking, my, my alcoholism really took effect for me later in life. I grew up in a alcoholic uh, family. My, my father was an alcoholic, um, actually died from the disease right as I began my struggle with alcohol. But, you know, we grow up in a childhood and it's all we know, so we don't know that it's not normal. I knew there were aspects of it that weren't normal, but um, I, I still kind of uncovered layers of, of my character defects from that. But I learned at a very, very early age to lead that dual life. 
fast forward um, into my mid thirties. And I, at that time had two kids, two children. I have three total, but, but when I had the two, my life got to a point where I could not manage it and manage this perfect appearance to everybody any longer. Um, and the only way I could accept not having that facade was um, a little bit of wine. And, and then I was kind of okay with my surroundings and, and, and the dysfunctions that was, was going on in that marriage. It was not a healthy marriage. I was not healthy at all. Um, I didn't know that at the time. So it, it really was when um, I got pregnant with my third and did what I had done with my first two, which is we don't drink, right? We put the drink down when we're pregnant. And I had difficulty and realized now, looking back, um, that I was restless, irritable, discontented, blaming it all on the hormones of a pregnancy. Once I had my third the the one thing I was more focused on in the hospital was would someone bring me sushi and wine, and and my husband did and 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 the alcoholism took effect because I mean we know that it's an internal disease and it progresses so for that nine month period my disease is progressing and and I don't even know it and when I picked up that year, that first year of my son's life um, was a spiral down into this disease. I went to numerous treatment centers, Maggie's, of course, and it wasn't until my last time in Maggie's that I really understood and got my step one. My truth is, I believe, I, I, I am certain that step one had been explained to me out of the book, just as we explained it at Maggie's. But I couldn't grasp the fact that somebody was telling me that I had lost the power of choice. Because all of those skills that I had developed, you know, willpower, determination, all those things that had worked for me were not working around alcohol. And I, the last time I ended up in Maggie's, I heard my step one. And I, and I knew the truth was, if I was to leave and not be well on my way with these steps, that this was no longer about me not wanting to drink. It, it was the truth is that I would. I have an absolute heart for the woman that struggles. The, the woman that keeps coming back. And people didn't think, you know, why are you not getting it? I don't know why, why it took me so long to have that light bulb go off. But I'm passionate about getting back up and keep trying. Just get back up and keep trying. When it takes, it takes. But, but, but there is that intersection for me of that complete, utter desperation there was nothing left in me. There was no other thought or idea that I had to throw at this, at, at this disease. I did not understand 
or I cannot intellectually rationalize why these 12 steps and the and the work that this book is calls calls us to do why it would work but I knew I knew the woman that that explained that did the class that day and explained the step one to where I got it on a whole uh, deeper level. I knew she was sober and um, I started working with her and my, oh, my sobriety date is March, 2014. So for that, I'm very, very grateful. from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.